the Leadership Podcast. See, when we're not committed to a schedule, important things don't really get done. And we have more stress because we have to keep rethinking things. We meander around, we're not progressing. What up, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Leadership Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to look at one thing new leaders miss that makes them weaker and how to grow that area into a strength. Now, of course, that's far too long of a title, so I just titled it, How to Make Sure Your Leadership Isn't Weak Sauce. What up, guys? I'm Mark Carter, pastor of Fierce Church, and welcome to the Bible Leadership Podcast helping you grow your leadership skill and intuition so you can lead more effectively connected to Jesus because leading for Jesus disconnected from Jesus makes no sense. If you're new here, we do a lot of leadership tips, reminders, and hacks. So if you want more content like this, consider subscribing at BibleLeadership.com. Now, don't forget to like and share or leave a review if it's helpful. And be sure to stick around all the way to the end for a bonus leadership tip and then one more bonus surprise. All the links to anything mentioned in the podcast today will be in the show notes. And you can go to BibleLeadership.com to subscribe if you want to get those show notes every time an episode is released. Again, today we are talking about how to make sure your leadership isn't weak sauce. And here we go. One thing new leaders miss the importance of that makes them weaker. So now for almost a decade, I've been leading young up-and-coming leaders through a longer-term discipleship intensive that's focused on leadership. And here's what I found. I lead a medium-sized church. Here's what I found. There tends to be this one thing that can really get in people's way, can take an otherwise really charismatic, really gifted leader and reduce their impact. Now, I want to be careful to say it doesn't mean they're a bad person. It doesn't mean, you know, I don't love every one of these people. It's just a consistent pattern that shows up. And to clarify, I'm not talking about a millennial thing or a Gen Z thing, and it's not young leaders, it's new leaders. So they might be an older person, but they're new at the leadership game. I don't think, honestly, you could be an old leader and get these wrong. You probably are not leading anymore if you're missing this one thing that makes people weaker. What is that one thing? It is a lack of structure. Now, when we're talking about a lack of structure, we're talking about a predictable, intentional schedule of how the week or day or month is going to go that helps us get the most important things done and doesn't allow us to get sidetracked with the less important. See, it's weak sauce because we probably have the charisma to start stuff, to make things happen as a leader, but we're underdeveloped with regard to sustaining excellence. And the problem really is this. We just have a loose spirit. We're loose with commitments, with free time, with development, with sleep. This is often just a lack of discipline, and it leaks into all kinds of other areas of life. See, when we're not committed to a schedule, important things don't really get done. And we have more stress because we have to keep rethinking things. We meander around. We're not progressing. It's kind of like mowing the lawn, okay? It's getting around summertime now, and... Everybody's out back mowing their lawn. And most of the time, there's kind of a pattern that that folks follow when they're mowing the lawn. Um, Let's pretend you're just mowing the lawn in random arcs, you know, real scribbly, any which way but loose. You're mowing. There's no pattern. There's no, not necessarily any visible progress. You're just all over the place. 
That's how people are when they don't have structure, and it's causing way more anxiety than is necessary. It creates conflict in marriages, conflict in families, between roommates. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 16:9. I like the Living Bible version. It says, we should make plans, counting on God to direct us. See, I've found that if we do what we can, God will do what we can't. Now, why do new leaders wrestle with structure? Again, I think they're charismatic enough to make things happen, but they're underdeveloped in how to sustain excellence over time. Here's the first reason I think that newer leaders can wrestle with structure. Number one, they've got backwards thinking about freedom. They think vagueness is freedom, but it's actually bondage. Many have yet to get over the discipline threshold. If they were just push a little hard for a little while, they would learn to enjoy it and it would be on autopilot instead of always having to fight to work hard. In my family, we say it this way, the hard way is the easy way. And what looks like the easy way is the hard way. That's what we tell our kids when we're trying to stir them up to, hey man, do the hard thing now, do the hard thing first. Get your spirit used to doing hard things, to being structured, because it's just gonna make it, you won't mind it so much as you get a little bit older. Now here's the second reason new leaders might struggle with structure. Fleshy protection of laziness in the name of authenticity. This is really a haughty spirit that people should just accept us the way that we are. See, an effort to accept ourselves and protect our quote-unquote freedom, we don't secure ourselves in the railroad tracks of a schedule that would actually help us make progress. So instead of being authentically helpful, we're just being authentic, authentic at whatever. And we're saying, hey, if, if you can't accept me the way that I am, then you don't value authenticity. And I should just be able to go with the flow because that's the true me. Authenticity is not really the highest value. Doing your duty is a higher value. This is really just a version of pride. Here's the third reason. Younger leaders sometimes need to be more suspicious of their feelings. Guys, I really believe that there is just something in the culture that says my feelings are God. Whatever they tell me to do, and we don't even question it. It's like, I'm just going to do what my feelings tell me. If I don't feel like this, I'm not going to do that. They're not thinking about their flesh as an enemy, something that is darkened by sin and hungry for sin. And so what do they do? They trust their feelings and do what is comfortable. Now, how do we know when structure is missing or messy? Structure is missing or messy when, number one, we feel like we're not making progress on the most important things. This is often a calendar issue. There's no structure or regularity to what we're going to do every week. We've not arranged the week so that the most important things go first and less important things get cut. We keep having to rethink about what we could do next instead of allow the calendar to bring us into what we should do next. What do we need? We need an agreed upon schedule for how the week is going to typically go. We get more done because what? We planned on people coming over. We know when dinner is. We know when the Sabbath is. We know when school starts. And it doesn't start sometime around then. That's when it is. See, our week is a 20-mile march to use a Jim Collins leadership phrase. What else? We need to make a schedule with blocks of time for our highest priorities. That means Family time, that means working on whatever it is your job role is, meetings, dinner, planning, office tasks, stuff, whatever is the stuff that you do. There needs to be blocks of time. If it's really important, it needs to, there, it needs to have its own parking place within your schedule. Now, I want to say that I don't really think there is actually any such thing as a perfect schedule. See, this is just the outline. This is the plan of how you're going to do it, and it's going to usher you into the next thing on the calendar. 
but I think most of life is balancing it and then counterbalancing it. As soon as you make this plan, it's not gonna go perfect. And for those of us who are real perfectionists, we're gonna be like, oh, I didn't do my plan. Yeah, I know you didn't do it, but you're still making progress. Now you can catch it on the next train, which is the next week. If you miss that block of time and you have to move on to the next thing, then you just catch the next train the next time, or you've gotta cut something coming up in the week to make sure that you're able to do that. So we calendar with blocks of when we're gonna do what? If it doesn't work, we just flow with it and we go to the next block of time. Now, of course, there's wiggle room, just like a great vocalist. If, if you've ever listened to somebody who's just an exceptional vocalist, they can, they can sing the melody, but they can also sing harmony. They're so good with the melody that they can go off the melody, for those who understand what this means in music terms. They can go off the melody and it still sounds really good and they can find their way back to the melody. That's because they're so familiar with the melody that they can leave it for a minute and come back. That's how we need to be with our schedules. Dude, I'm not uh, sad that I have to break my schedule. I'm just like, oh, that's how it goes. Good thing there's a schedule so I know where to come back to. So we know structure is missing or messy when we feel like we're not making progress on the most important things. And number two, we have a junk drawer approach to task management. See, there's no structure or regularity with how we manage the work or the tasks coming at us, whether it's email or via mail or text or some commitment that you made or some date that you have. See, we don't have a reliable rope tied to anything, so we just completely forget things and drop the ball. We haven't learned that you really can't store everything in your brain. Now see, when you and I open our junk drawer, there's all kinds of stuff in there. In terms of work, there's stuff that you've already committed that you're gonna do. But now because everything is so fast in our day and age, there's work coming at you right now. Like you probably got an email within the time it took to just to listen to this podcast. So there's new projects that you're embracing. There's old projects that you still have. And then there's just stuff that it's like somebody needs something from you and it's coming at you and interrupting the, the work that you're doing. And so who knows which one of these things is the right thing to do? And who knows sometimes how these things all relate to one another? What do we need? A trusted task management system that is deliberately chosen so that the most important things are regularly identified and reviewed. I think you need more than cool software although I think you do need that, or if you're a pen and paper kind of person, that's good too. I think we actually have to have a paradigm on how productivity works. Michael Hyde has got a great book on this, Free to Focus. David Allen has kind of one of, I think, the quintessential original books on this, which is called Getting Things Done. I would encourage you to check those out, but just so you don't have to run out and read a book before you can even get any help here, a quick fix that will get you more mileage right away is just every night looking at the day's tasks tomorrow, just really debate with yourself which ones really should get your attention and which ones shouldn't. And then just plan on, you create a little pathway for the next day, here's the three or four things I'm gonna try to own and kill tomorrow. What are we learning? We know structure is missing or messy when number one, we feel like we're not making progress on the most important things. Number two, we have a junk drawer approach to task management. Or number three, we're pulled out of deep work. Deep work is that zone you get in. It's that space you get in where now you've had some time to really get into the groove, so to speak. Now you're thinking more deeply about whatever project it is you're working on. Some things just take a while in order for us to be able to focus on them. Cal Newport has got a great book on this called Deep Work. And here's one of the ways I like to think about it. So any, anyone who's familiar with scuba diving, you know that if you're going scuba diving, you can't just come back straight back up. If you've been, say you've been 95 feet down, you can't just come straight back up. Are you gonna hurt your lungs? You're gonna get the bends. 
And for me, sermon writing is like this, okay? I can't just come back up. If I'm, if I'm going deep into sermon writing, my, my head is getting into space. I'm, like, I'm just studying some deep things. I'm hearing from God. And I can't just be zipped out of that and be able to go back down immediately. So if I've got kids running in and out of the room, or I've got social media buzzing at me, I can't stay deep. And that's my ambition. When I'm going deep work, maybe I'm going 95 feet down. Like, I don't need anyone coming in distracting me with something of lesser importance. Now, you should really be doing deep work about the most important things. What do you need? You need work environments and fewer disruptions. I've found that as we do what we can, God will do what we can't. That means maybe you can't, it's not very easy for you to get deep workspace. Hey, baby, do what you can and let God do what you can. Sometimes you got to start with what you can get. Man, I can get 15 minutes and that's as deep as I'm going. Well, take 15 minutes. See what you can grow here. I remember I used to put a sign on my door in college, okay, because I had a very, I had a dorm that was kind of like a suite among my buddies. And so they would come in, barge kind of into the room, whatever was going on, just come on in and, you know, we're goofing around. Well, I had to put a, a sign on my door, not so I could study, but so I could have time with God because they would just disrupt and trying to go deep in prayer. I love the guys, but they would just mess it up. And so I learned early on, you got to put a post somewhere that says, do not bug me. I'm doing this. And you can say it's sweet. I mean, I, I said literally something like, I'm having time with God, come back later. But there's got to be an agreement. If there's other people in your life that are going to mess with this, there's got to be an agreement, okay? Even if it's only 30 minutes between spouses. The side like the spouses. If you're not trying to get time for your spouse, for them to do deep work on the important things that are important to them, you are missing a tremendous opportunity to love them. Marriage is about laying down your life, not positioning everything so that you can have the least inconvenience. You heard? So what do we do? Summarizing. Let's, number one, actually plan your week. I want to encourage you to get your structure under control. The answer is to become more disciplined with structuring your week. Write a schedule and do that schedule. The discipline is only developed by going against the grain of what our flesh would prefer. I want to suggest to you that if this is a weak area, you may need to work more on your schedule than you think you do. For some, it just means, hey, you know, you're, you've got some good things going, but you need to drop some destructive things. You've just got some stuff that, dude, you don't really need that. Like maybe there's not as much holiness or integrity in that thing. You just need to let that thing go. Dear heart, you can always pick it back up. You can find it again. But for now, we just need to actually plan our week and remove all the extra chaff so that we can get down to business. Number two, read some books or listen to podcasts or get some software on productivity. It's still true that leaders are readers. And so if we're not willing to grow and develop in the area of productivity, my friends, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're going to be leading very long. Number three, consider how much deep work time you need and then negotiate what that would take to get it with your boss or with a spouse or with a team. What do we know? If we do what we can, God will do what we can't. Proverbs 69, we should make plans counting on God to direct us. Let me give you three book recommendations as we go. I've mentioned all three so far, but just to review, Getting Things Done by David Allen, Making It All Work, I think is one of the sequels to that book, and I, it might be a little bit better book. Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt. This is really a, it's kind of probably a riff on GTD, but it's, it's a little bit more updated for today's world. And then Deep Work by Cal Newport. We'll have a link to those books in the blog post on the site, BibleLeadership.com. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today. If you want more leadership content like this, go ahead and subscribe in your podcast player or at BibleLeadership.com. Be sure to leave a thumbs up or a like or whatever there is on the platform you're on if it's helpful. And consider checking out our Patreon page. Every little bit helps us create more spiritual growth resources to help people just like you lead connected to Jesus.
Now, for those who stuck around to the end, I want to offer you a free ebook. If you go to BibleLeadership.com free, sign up and get this book, How to Attract Positive Change. It's about how to make sure you're planning well, getting counsel well, so that God can use the natural means he's chosen, wisdom, to get positive change into our life. Well, for those of you who stuck around, thank you for sticking around. I want to give you your final leadership tip. Here's what you got to remember. The applause of people will soon wane. So do whatever you're doing for God. In 2 Samuel, we find that David was mourning the death of Abner. And you know, he's a new king. Everybody's loving David right now. It says this pleased the people very much. In fact, everything the, kid, the king did pleased them. Well, you know, I've just found in leadership over time, there's people that are going to be applauding you. And those very same people later are going to be not applauding you. And so we just have to get used to, I can't do this for the praise of people. The applause of people will soon wane. I've got to do this for God. They love me today. They're not going to love me tomorrow. Now, on the other hand, they may hate you today and they might like you a little bit more tomorrow. Either way, the applause of people is a horrible God. We need to do this for God himself. It's from him that we get our reward. So don't, don't worry too much about what the people think. If they're coming against you right at this particular moment, as long as you're not doing anything evil, do this unto God because people are fickle. Hey, don't let it discourage you. You stand up. Don't worry about what the people are saying. You worry about what Jesus is saying. Lead strong and we'll see you next time.